Sports Best Friends, Stories, a podcast that this week is more stat than fiction. I'm Big T and waiting patiently on the other end of the line is a man who is the backbone of rugby league research. He's a historian, a record keeper, a statistician and a writer. He's the author of The Story of Rugby League and is the best part of the podcast Fergo and the Freak. He is a father of a sasspot and a great friend of the pod. Please welcome Andrew Rex Ferguson. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure to be here. I love your podcast. <laughs> Thanks, big guy. And uh, it really is fun to talk to you because I feel like we're super best friends, but this, I think, is the first time we've ever spoken on the phone. It certainly is, yeah. Um, I was just thinking, too, I've done like 100-odd podcast episodes of my own one, but every time I go on someone else's podcast, I'll get all nervous because I don't want to like stuff up the good shows that I always listen to. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, you couldn't. You couldn't possibly. And the whole thing's about you today, so that's going to be exciting. Well, whatever you say is... Um, you know, is what was supposed to happen because it's about you. It's, it's permanently on the record. Yeah, it's also true, so be careful of that. Um, now, I brought up your sass pot of a daughter in, in my intro. How is how is your daughter? Oh, she's great. You know, she she still drinks her milk. Yeah, um, still tells people she, to do it whenever they're feeling sad. Yeah, whenever they're feeling someone's crying. Yeah. Don't worry, baby, we'll get you some milk. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's like a – she's really funny, always happy, cheerful type kid. Um Probably because she hasn't started properly following a rugby league team yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's just a magnificent little human. It's just the greatest thing that ever happened to me was her coming along. Uh-huh. I really mean that. She's she's a fantastic kid. Yeah. And, in fact, you um, very sweetly would, were, were messaging me some stuff about that just before I had Littlest, and it was a real great – I mean, I was already pretty, pretty G'd about having a kid, but you certainly made me super G'd about it. And, in fact, you were the first of about – a small tidal wave of, of rugby league community that all said that having kids is the best things ever happened to them. So that was a great thing. Great person to have in my life was you at the time, Rex. So I appreciate that big guy. Um, That's all right. Now, sticking with her, you have an incredible library. In fact, you did a YouTube tour of it um, not long ago. Has she ever got into the library and, and mucked it up, caused havoc? Uh, she's got into two or three books because she, she's an absolute fantastic drawer and has been for a while. Hmm. Um, so she loves drawing. But at the same time, she doesn't like drawing over other stuff. So when she goes into my book, she always sort of goes to the inside cover or the first page with ah, nothing on it. Okay. So she, it's kind of just added a little bit interest, something interesting that I can. It's like a timestamp. I can open up yeah. a book for history stuff and go, "Oh yeah, I remember when she was three and she did that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's never pulled everything off the shelves and and you've gone in and gone, "Oh no." Oh, she she has done that. Okay. Um, it probably took me. Uh, I don't know, 20 minutes to, to clean up my, my library and put it in a decent-looking order to make it look like that's how it always looks ah, in the video. Well done. If it's, if it's not her pulling it out, it's me having a pile of like 13 books on this. I've got this like L-shaped desk where I do mm-hmm. my work. There's like laptops and another computer and a monitor and books and stuff everywhere and bits of paper with stats on it. and <laughs> Exactly I, I what like we to, all imagine. I like, yeah, I like to work in a um, a well-organized, chaotic mess. Yes. I know where everything is. I hate it when people move it. <laughs> right, right, right. And does, does she follow football? I know you just said then she doesn't really, and that's why she's so happy. Does your partner follow football? Oh, yeah, yeah. She's a, a passionate Sharks fan. Really? Uh, yeah. She's she's ridden the, the highs and lows of the club, mostly lows. Um, and there was I think there was that period back in about 2012, 2013, 14, 
where it looked like the West Tigers had started to develop into a Sharks feeder club. Mm. So she started taking a bit more of interest in the Tigers and pretty much just to see who the Sharks would be recruiting yeah. next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah how, it's, uh, how was she in 2016 then? I absolutely loved it. And we actually went up to the grand final for that. I, uh, I thought I should go along with it for that. <clears throat> yeah. Partly because there's a massive animosity between the Sharks and the Storm. Right. And she wanted to go there on the one occasion that if the Sharks do win this game, I want to be there when all the Storm fans are at their lowest of low because they just lost the game. <laughs> so that's what we did. And sure enough, they got up and won. And um, there was this – I said this before. There's this weird moment as the full-time siren went, the, the last play stopped, and there's like a, a one, two-second pause where the Sharks fans have all gone, oh, we won. Yeah, double-checking the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the players did it too. I, I, vague, I have a vague memory of that. Everyone was dead set in shock because they just thought Melbourne would probably come back and, and do something because Cronulla was also defending nonstop for what felt like the last few minutes and then it just the game kind of ended and they were like, holy shit, I think double check, yep, no, I really think we did win. I think the fans were doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah, so everyone's looking around going, hey, are we sure? Yeah. <laughs> Is this the last game? <laughs> hey, uh, I just want to take you back a moment because your wife didn't want to go down and, and watch that game in case Cronulla won. She wanted to go down in case Melbourne lost to, to lick the tears of the Melbourne fans. That's a dangerous yeah, yeah. person to live with. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a motivation. <laughs> Now, is she worried at all that um, – is your wife worried at all that your kid's going to take on your family business of being a statistician? No, actually, and um, there's, there's not much she can do about it either because, well, she's off at work a few days a week. You know, I'm home every day of the week with a yeah. little one. So I've been, I've been helping her learn about maths since she was about, I don't know, 18 months old. Wow. I had her counting to 10 and then understanding what the numbers look like, and now she can count up to, you know, wherever the hell she wants to. Um, How old is she now? Four and a half. Wow. Um, speaking with a kindergarten teacher the other day and they said, yeah, she's really, really good with numbers. She walks around and each student has to do this thing every day where they go around and they have to um, count the number of kids in the classroom and they've got a little counting stick to do it with. Okay. I said she just hits that out of the ballpark all the time. She loves it. And so she's at school already? Uh, kindergarten. So it's three days a week and then she goes to school. Oh, you're in Melbourne. You're in Melbourne. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Kindergarten in New South Wales. Insanely weird. Kindergarten in New South Wales means the next the, the next year and kindergarten in Melbourne means the year before. Anyway, great. So she's in preschool for anyone in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty much preschool, yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, I grew up in the New, New South Wales system, so yeah, it takes me a while to – it's like converting it. Converting yeah. one coast to the other. Yeah. Converting what happened to school years. We had the pleasure of talking to – um, Clint Chavosky the other day, who was in Queensland, and he was talking to us about you know the time he wanted to do it, and he wanted to start, he wanted to finish by four o'clock, and we were starting at four thirty, and uh, you know that took me a moment or two to work out what the hell was going on, but luckily, I worked out that he was in a time zone difference, and we weren't, he didn't want to end thirty minutes before or before we started. Did, did you get the right year? You had to go back. <laughs> four or five yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now moving from your family to your childhood, how did you originally get into rugby league? Uh, quite randomly, actually, because I grew up in a tiny country town and where we were, the TV channels were kind of merged. So you had like Channel 9 and 7 and 10 were kind of one conglomerated channel. Oh. Um, but thankfully, the one channel that wasn't merged in, that was ABC. Um, and I saw it on TV one day when I was absolutely hammering down with rain outside. So I was just flicking around to find something on TV and came on, I watched it and <laughs> just fell in love with it and started watching it then and there. 
Well, wow. oddly it's, enough. Um, and so I no started, one in your family was a big rugby league fan. It was just you um, and Rooney Day channel surfing. Not really. My dad was kind of interested in it. He, he's he's a mechanic engineer sort of thing, so his interests are in, in that area. Mm-hmm. And he casually watched footy as a kid. Yeah. I think he was a casual Dragons fan just because they were winning all the time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was – I just saw it and just sort of went – it's interesting. No one else is watching this. I might watch it. Yeah. Um, and so that would be your, that would be your first rugby league memory. Yeah. Wow. And I actually started out as a Sharks fan for the weirdest reason ever. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes back to being having the mindset of someone who lives in a tiny community. When I say tiny, um, the place I come from, it's in the the Riverina region, tiny okay. farm village. And in the last census, it has a population of 117. Whoa. Yeah. So. <laughs> Growing up there, I when I turned on the TV, there was this bloke running around for Cronulla who had the same first name as me, Andrew. <laughs> and I went, someone else has got my name. I like this team. I'm going for them. <laughs> How old were you? Eight, seven, eight. Yes, that's amazing. So that was stunning to me. I was like, I'm going to follow them. And then the following year, a player came up for Balmain and the commentators were talking about how he was going to school. And I was like, I'm at school. I like him. <laughs> this is my team. And so because of Tim Brasher, I became a Bowmate Tigers fan and stayed there. up. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Just because Tim Brasher went to school at the same time you played. The, yep, your kid, Your kid brain is the best brain. That's that. Yep. And, 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 and you've stayed with them, obviously, the whole time, even through the merge. Yep. I mean, you got married. The, the, the Tigers kind of got married. There's another reason to stay with them. It makes sense. Exactly. Exactly right. There you go. And so do you remember your first grand final? What Do you have a – yeah, what is the memory of your first grand final? Uh, I, I only saw a tail end of the 88 grand final, but I did sit through all of hell, mm. uh, the 89 grand final. Mm. I will say this about that game, and I haven't watched it back ever since, but I still remember that game was played so much faster than any other game I remember watching that year. Yeah, right. And I still see people talk about how quickly it was played. I'm going, I must have been onto something there. Mm. Um, phenomenal and, game, though. Yeah. Just, and, and those boys talk about how if you count all the people who played rep footy mm. either then or later, it was something like 25 out of the 29 that played. It's just nuts. It's crazy. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And so that was the same grand – so that's Tim Brash's first and only grand final as well. Yeah, poor bugger. Yeah, I'm going to keep tying it back to him now. So <laughs> is, is it memories like that that helped inspire you to write a historical book? Well, the the historical books were sort of inspired by the fact that when I was a kid, there was nothing around for me to learn the, the, the you know, the basic starting blocks, I guess, of about rugby league's history and mm. how it came to be where it is today. Mm. So I wanted to write something like that so that kids could actually – read it and learn about it from the very beginning. And it's all in a positive way. It's very colourful, that sort of thing. Yeah. That was kind of the backbone for that. And so it was It was your experience of not having that book. You're kind of writing a book that you wish you had when you were a kid. That's exactly it, yeah. Yeah, right. What a fantastic way to do it. And so transitioning from your childlike fanness into a writer, what was the first thing that you wrote about football? Uh, the first published piece was about the first referee boss, Ted Hooper. Mm. And this whole article sort of set me on the path to being a historian and a, a, a rugby league writer and stuff like that. And the wow. whole story be- behind it is the biggest fluke ever. Go. I was working for a real estate analytics company down here in Melbourne. 
and I'm doing real estate data stuff. And some blokes come down from the Brisbane office to visit. And he's from the sales team or something like that. And I'm having my lunch break. He walks past and he, on my lunch break, I used to do work on RLP. And he sees me working on there and he sees rugby league on there and he goes, oh, my great-grandfather used to be a referee in that competition. And I went, my, my brain automatically when someone says something like that goes, yeah, right, I'll just check it up on my website. <laughs> yeah, yeah, calling shit out on the website. Yeah, yeah. So I type his name in there and bloody hell, he pops up. I went, mate, do you have anyone in your family who actually spoke to him or know him? Went, yeah, I'll, I'll give you my, uh, my grandfather's phone number. I went, awesome. So I rang up grandfather and he said, oh, yeah, well, you gave me bits and pieces of information. And I said, give us your address. If I find anything, I'll post it up to you. I said, I ended up posting up about, I don't know, 60 or 70 newspaper articles as well as the full thing that I wrote. Well, wow. he, called, he called me back as soon as he got it from the post. I just said, I had no idea about this stuff. I went, Andrew, that, you changed his life. Me, that made me so damn happy. I went, you know what? I think I need to do more of this. Yeah, wow. And so I posted up on a blog thing that I created, which is still around, and uh, Sean Fagan, magnificent uh, historian, he saw it and said, I think you should put this in the Mental League magazine. So he got me in touch with them and went there. And then they said, can you do this every quarter? Wow. Give us some more. And I just started, just went from there. That's incredible. What a great way to start. And I love that. I love that it started with like a, a footy smiles esque happy story where you just some random guys talking to you and then you change these people's lives. Cause imagine finding all that about your dad this many years later. That'd yeah. just be incredible. And it went on further cause they, um, I managed to get in touch with the New South Wales referees because they were doing this thing where they'd, they'd handed out, I think, plaques or badges to everyone being a former ref. Right. And I was trying to find out a lot of former referees' um, family, stuff like that, to give them theirs as well. Right. So I got them in touch with him as well, and they were pretty ecstatic about that, both sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cause, yeah. Because this guy refereed in the first, the first round of games in 1908. Wow. He also holds the only the record – the only player, only referee to have done it, to have refereed two games back-to-back in a doubleheader. One game kicked off at 2 o'clock, the next one at 3.15. Wow. Even died at halftime in a rugby league game after Shut refereeing. up. All right, so in 19 – oh, I've got to remember the year now. 1923 or so? 25, 1925. Uh, in the fourth interstate game between New South Wales and Queensland, they had this little entertainment thing they did at, the, at halftime where – Two teams of referees would play a game against each other <laughs> for a bit of novelty, and Hooper came out, and he was the referee of that game. Wow. And after the game, he wandered off. He waved to the crowd, walked down the tunnel, got into the shower, and passed away, fell on the floor and collapsed. Oh, my God. Had a, had a heart failure. Anyway, he even died after doing the referee thing. He, did, he just dedicated his life to this stuff. So <laughs> it's just it was almost like oh. a – I know it's a, a bad term of phrase. It's almost like a fitting way for him. It's almost like that's probably where he wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. they had a huge funeral for him. He, he became a life member of the New South Wales Rugby League. Um, yeah. Oh, I love huge this. Like, I'm so glad yeah. that you're still telling this story as well. That's so fantastic. Oh, I love it. It's the most fascinating story I've written. Mm. Um, absolutely love it. And because it's about a referee. Yeah, It's yeah, one of yeah. those things that, that also taught me straight away that there are so many people in the game right. whose story is not known. Mm. So I want to go out and get those stories. So I don't write about the Daily Messengers and the Frank Burgess and stuff like that because I figure everyone's done that already. Yeah. I go and write about the unknown players. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I love that. And that 1909 podcast you did recently is is great about that. Well, you do talk about some people like um, 
the JJ Gilman guy and people like that, but there are also lots of nods to people who we wouldn't normally know, um, which was great. So it just makes it so much more interesting because because you're right, we know a kind of basic story of all of that time, but then there is so much more detail, so much more intrigue around um, the rest of the people who we don't know much too much about. Yeah, that episode was uh, that was chaos, and the whole the whole system that went on in that 1909 season there was chaos. Mm. But trying to piece that together in podcast form and <laughs> yeah. try and tell the story with some sort of consistent sort of linkage was hell. I had no idea what I was doing. I just went, you know, I'm just going to go with chronological order and hope it works. Yeah, it did. <laughs> no, it was great. Now take one step back. So in that story there, you were already on um, the rugby league project. So how did you get into stats? How did you get into that part of, of rugby league before the writing part? Um. Well, I have to go back to when I was a kid. In, on my ninth, ninth birthday, my mum got me the David Middleton annual for season 89. I think it was 88 or 89. And I was actually struggling with maths at school. And so my birthday always fell in the, the second term holiday. So I remember getting this book from my birthday and went, oh, this is fantastic. And I needed to find out what all the little letters in the back of the book where they had the, the pay summaries are, what the T's are and the G's and the FG's and the PTS thing, what all that meant. Yeah, right how the numbers calculated up to get the, you know. And so I started to investigate it through, you know, doing summaries each week in the of each round. I slowly started to learn how to do addition in my head very quickly wow. and then multiplication. And everything just started to click. I started to see the patterns in maths and I went, I actually like maths now. I went back to school and just started smashing maths out of the park. And, I think. and so I just sort of stuck with the numbers part of, of rugby league. Yeah. The whole time through and being fascinated by the statistical side of things, trying to find different stats and do different analysis of mm-hmm. what, you know, to what everyone else always sort of sees and does. Um, so, yeah, I have this crazy passion for maths and trying to find those stat stuff. But it's um, always been around. Wow. And so rugby league, again, like changed your life. Yeah. Yeah, help me with the maths. It was, it was fantastic. I, I still remember the moment that it all happened. I was sitting there. I think I was going through like round 15 or round 16 in the, in the 1989-90 annual. And I'm going, hey, I'm doing maths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not using working. calculators. I'm, I'm doing maths. It's working. <laughs> Thanks, Terry Lamb. I, I get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, you also wrote the book, The the Story Rugby League, we talked about before. What was your favourite part about writing that? Uh, it's putting in the, the little snippets of information that aren't really well known or aren't covered anywhere else in another book. So. Mm. For example, the uh, first women's game in 1921. Right. Um, stuff about trading cards and stuff you can swap and things like was it ephemera, that sort of thing. Mm. Little little snippets like that. Uh, even in the back, there's a basic sort of thing about the rules of the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just little things like that though, where you put in little bits of different information so the kid comes away after reading going, that's I had no idea there was that much stuff going on. Yeah. And they're also probably also going, well, I hated history at school, but now I'm doing history. Yeah, well, there you go. Hopefully it's having that impact. <laughs> Mass, the, the rugby league had with Mass and me. What advice would you give to pre-book Rex after you finished it? What were what some key things you would have told yourself before you started if you, that you know now? Oh, that's a good question. Probably go along the lines of um, you're not going to get rich writing one book. You better if you, <laughs> you better go out and start writing all the other ones you want to do. Because right. I've got – I've got about five halfway done. Right. Um, not not kids ones, actual 
genuine thorough history ones. But yeah, I I should have sat down and kept punching those out. I sort of I wrote the kids one and went right. Let's just sit back in the armchair and wait for the cash to roll in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> mm. So I just wish I had a, had a stuck through on that and kept going while the uh, you know the creative juice was still flowing and everything like that. So yeah, right. It's just about finding time to get back into it soon. And usually the off-season, I, I start hooking in again. If I'm not doing rugby league project stuff in the off-season, then I usually do some stuff on the book. So Yeah, great. What, hmm. which one, what, are, what have we got happening? What are some of the titles you got or, or the content you got? Uh, one is about the – I call it the first kangaroos, but that's just a working title. It's about – all of the it's a it's a biographic summary of every single player that played for Australia in some shape or form in 1908 and 1909, and there's about 65, 67 players all up. Wow! So they didn't have to play a test; they could have, could have just played one one tour game against Barrow in 8 <laughs> and bang, do a do a profile on them. Fascinatingly enough, one of the players, their grandfather, was part of the Human Hovel walking track going around traveling around the the southern highlands of new south wales oh right and he's buried in the same tiny town that i grew up in wow so bizarre unbelievable i couldn't believe it when i found that i actually had to go and ask my mum to say can you go up to the cemetery and see if his gravestone's there i need to check that this for sure and sure enough it was there wow unbelievable so rugby, yeah, league's, um, rugby league sending your mum to graveyards as well that's an interesting insight into your to your life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your poor mum i've turned my family into my minions <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> now look the, the pit that i probably loved most about it was the old tiger premiership winning stuff i loved how much i mean the premiership was a lot sh- like the there were less teams and season was a lot shorter so we won a lot of them but i love that i love all of those and all those beautiful photos of those blokes why do you think rugby league has lasted so long Oh, that's a damn good question. Because say, the game has changed so much over the years too. It keeps you know, up, was, you mean? But like, what do you mean by how does that help it? I don't, that's the thing. I think because it's it's changed so much, people are not only used to the change but kind of expect it, and they're able to take it in their stride. Right. Plus, it was it was built largely on the working class people, so. You know, footy was was obviously a highlight for those people's lives every week, and mm. more often than not, players actually worked alongside the fans Monday to Friday. Right. So there was that really strong link with the with the players and the fans from the absolute get go. Then you had all those links with the Labor Party and union movements. It's, it just seemed like the socially fair and equitable sort of game to play because they're all about making sure that everyone got what they deserved out of it instead right. of a bunch of rich fat cats at the top of the rugby union tree just getting paid all the money and everyone underneath playing, busting their backsides, getting broken and getting nothing for it financially. Yeah, yeah. So it seemed fair and equitable, and I think that's kind of the thing that people have liked about it. It's always been sort of open. It's it's never tried to shy away from the criticisms, obviously. I mean, it cops a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. And so – it's, it's it's sort of built up, I guess, uh, an underdog sort of mentality, which means it makes it hard for fans of it to abandon it, even when right. they feel like their team might be getting hammered. They're like, yeah, but you know what? They might get up. I'll keep following them. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sharks fans are a classic example. You know, they had all that Asada stuff go on. Mm. They stuck with them, and then 2016 win a premiership. It's like you get rewarded for sticking with your team. At right. Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of challenging questions, you get hammered almost daily with the weirdest stat question on Twitter. What is the best question that you've ever been tweeted? 
Oh, geez, I couldn't think of the best one. One that stands out that for me, the best ones are the ones where people don't expect me to give give them the answer. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So they and just ask was, you something super crazy and you actually can't answer it. Yeah, and I think one last year was, what's the record for the most number of times in a season that a team has scored more tries than their opponent and lost? Right, right, right. right so it's long and wordy. It sounds complicated. And I looked at it and went, how am I going to figure that out? And I went, yeah, I know. I think I can do this. And I've, I've, I've built a spreadsheet where I can uh, access a lot of things results-wise really quickly just uh. by using Using a lot of um, filters and stuff on the on the spreadsheet, right? Create a few other columns and stuff. Do a bit of maths and come out with the answer. And they were like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah." Didn't didn't expect you to say that. Yeah, I didn't. And it was Cronulla, right? Was it Cronulla this year? Yeah, Cronulla this year set the record. Uh, it was. I think they had five times before that. It was the Bulldogs in seventy eight or eighty when they wow. did four times. And did you immediately throw that at your wife? I I did tell her. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't happy. No. And probably throwing it throwing it's probably not a good idea. As, as I'm thinking about how I would have breached that with my wife, well, probably wouldn't well, have thrown it at her either. I would have maybe gently well, put it into the I, dinner conversation. I figured it was a safe thing to do because I figured if I got too close, I might get hit with something. Yeah. So I'd just yeah. lob it over like a grenade over the wall. Yeah. Bang. <laughs> Go back to the Duck library. And cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, you've been a predominant historian and statistician for, for a while now. How has it changed how you watch rugby league? Uh, it hasn't. Oh, really? I I love watching rugby league in any format whatsoever. I stayed up last night watching Greece playing Spain being recorded on someone's mobile phone. <laughs> Michael Carboni's probably, <laughs> probably yeah. yeah. I, just, I just love watching the game of footy and those international games over in Europe where you're seeing basically a bunch of people you've never seen before. Yeah, teams with completely different sized bodies playing with different styles. Fantastic. And for me, I I get more enjoyment out of watching that than out of watching the NRL. Right. So that's fantastic. Another thing it would be is trying to, you know, I've got this desire to want to record every game, especially given that you don't see international games being recorded too well, even, right. even today. And so I'm looking at it going, you know, I, I need to pay attention to, you know, what jumper number someone is that scores a try or something like that. And mm. so that's that's part of what all the loose paper on my desk is about is writing all that stuff down. And so you're it's conscious only, of the historical relevance of it when, uh, while it's happening. Yeah, I, because, I mean, if you go to um, the International Rugby League Federation's website and look on there for match results for any any game in Europe, more often than not you'll come up with a page that just doesn't have any details on there. Right. And I I think that the, the least I can do as a historian, statistician, whatever else, is to give proper recognition to everyone who's been involved in this game at club level through to national level. And the best way to do that is to just record for them every game they played in. So, you know, when they're 60 years old and want to show their kids, they go, look, this is what I used to do, and bang, type in their name into their wacky computer and go, oh, look, there it is, every match there, and you check out all the blokes I played alongside. There's there's my old mate and there's him, and that's where we went to. And I think that... That'd be fantastic for them. It's not. It's never been something for me. It's been something that I want to do for the fans and for the uh, for the players. Yeah, what an incredible mantra! What an incredible way to be motivated. Mm. Have you have you done much through chasing kangaroos? Because I know Carbs does like tries to keep track of lots of stuff that happens everywhere and um and try and post results and things like that through Facebook and Instagram. 
Yeah, I know. Carbs, I listened to I've, I've listened to the first episode of the of his podcast just a few days ago. It's fantastic. Right. Uh, the Chasing Kangaroos one. Yeah. Hold on to your hats because by the time you get to about episode seven when they hit Italy, you're gonna you're gonna really love the podcast. He's trying he the first, like everyone's podcast, the first, you know, five are, are people trying to work out how they're supposed to do it. And, yeah. and when he really worked out what he needed to do, it it explodes into one of the most important podcasts. Um anyone's really ever done because exactly what you've just said there, where you're, you're a big fan of rugby league and you want to pay homage to all the people doing it. That's exactly what he's doing. And he knows that Australia media is well covered. And so he just does everywhere else and he, and he does it incredibly well. And so if you two can combine your powers to, of his like reach into international rugby league and your ability and, and drive to record it all for them, you're both going to make, a million no dollars because no one's ever going to pay you. But but That's the, right. the amount of moral <laughs> currency that you'll have, you'll be able to die at halftime happy with yourself during well, the game the thing, one time. It's never been really about making money. I know I've got the you know the crowdfunding thing there, but that is more just the the website got to the point has got to the point now where there's so much work that needs to be done that it's practically a full time job now. Right. So yeah, I, I I need to get in touch with Michael. I've I've got one or two people who have been helping me on rugby league project with the international games for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And they've been helped. They've been great at digging up stuff that I've been able to find anywhere. One guy, uh, Max, he spends most of his time watching games and writing all the stuff down as he goes through it. So he watches a game like several times over to get all the right details and then he'll oh, send it all wow. through. Um, he's fantastic. Imagine if you could get paid to do that. I would love that job. Yeah, I know, I know Max is doing it, I'm sure, out of the kindness of his heart, but if, you, if that was a job, oh, my God. Well, that's the thing. I mean, in, in an absolute dream world, that, that crowdfunding thing would give me enough money to, you know, for me to be able to live, yeah, you know, work on that full time and pay other people that are involved with the site for, for the work they do as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's a massive pipe dream. That, that's like sitting back in the chair waiting for the cash to roll yeah. from, the, from your first book sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Now, speaking of um, crazy dreams – if I could grant you a rugby league wish and you could choose anyone to go to a game with, who would you want to sit down and watch a game with? Oh, see, I'm torn on this one. I'm, I'm, I've got it down to two people and they're both. Uh, have them rugby. both, buddy. You can explain both. You can have them both. Because I'm a magical genie, I get to make up rules as we go. You're a good man. Thank uh, you. Ernie Christensen is one. Okay. I don't know if, if, I don't know if many people know of Ernie Christensen. Uh, also, more commonly known as E.E. Christensen, wrote the first lot of yearbooks in Sydney from, I think, 45 to 74 or something like that. <laughs> okay, right. And he's just he, a, he was one of the first record keepers of the game. And so what are you going to ask him? When, when you sit down and watch it with him, what are you going to talk to him about? Oh, just about the plays he's seen. I mean, he's seen it from right. post-war all the way through to the 70s, the change in the game. You know, what it was like in, in Sydney going through that whole period with the Dragons won 11 straight premierships. Yep. And then straight after that, South went and won five of six, I think it was. Um, And then you started getting it mixed up a bit more. You get some all these new teams coming in. Mm. Just just so much change happened post, post-World post War II in, in Sydney and in the, you know, in the rugby league competition everywhere. And, you know, the growth of France in rugby, international rugby league. Right. I'd love to hear more about that because those French teams in the 50s and 60s were strongly regarded as the best in the world. Right. I'd love to have known what that would have been like. It sounds completely foreign to someone who's, you know, only been watching footy since the very late 80s onwards. Mm, mm, mm. 
Yeah, um, that's a very compelling case for EE. What about the other bloke? Who's the other person? Tony, Co- Tony Collins. Ah, right. British Rugby League historian. Yes. Um, fair. I see him and uh, Terry Williams, a mate of mine, who used to be the um, curator at the NRL Museum. Those two people, I could sit down and just say, okay, talk to me about rugby league history. And then I just sit there and shut up and let them talk for as long as they want. And <laughs> yeah, I just sit there yeah. soaking it in going, I love this so much. Yeah. Yeah. Tony uh, has a great voice as well because he has his own podcast, I think, as well. Um, yeah, I've, I've been on that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so he has a great voice. And, and he, he's a writer as well. He's written a whole bunch of books. Um, yeah, we had, a, we had a funny moment. We were, we were talking on the actual – on the episode I was on there with, with Tony – and we both had the uh, – we were doing it over Skype and we both had the webcams on so we could see each other and sort of get cues from each other. It was one of the few times I'd been on a podcast. And he talked about how one of the workplace injuries he got what? from working as a, as a historian was going through the microfiche at the library and he got this thing called a ganglion on the back of his hand. What? It's a little lump on the back of his hand from using the, the, uh, the microfiche all the time. And I put my left hand up and showed him that I've got one as well and for exactly the same reason. <laughs> it was like some kind of badge of honour. <laughs> it is. Microfish bump. There you go. I, because, of, I, you know, when we started Rugby League Project, we didn't want to be taking anyone else's work. So we went to, you know, I went to the library and went through every newspaper I could to get the results and score lines of every game that was played since 1908 at club level. Wow. And then we put them all on the website from there. That's how that all came about, and that's why the, there's that lump there. <laughs> I don't, I've never even used one. So, the, I mean, I'd be showing you my left wrist and showing you this. I have the most soft, beautiful skin because I'd never done anything hard in my entire life, and so including microfish. So how do you – what does that even – is it the crazy thing you see on some movies where everything's moving really quick and then it stops and shows you something that's important? It's like an old, old newspaper reader. So you had to turn a wheel to uh, make it scroll to the next page because it's – it's behind a screen. You can't just turn it with your hand. So yeah, you, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I can't, you're going to have to send me a photo because I want to see this. This sounds creepy and gross, and, I, and I'm in, interested by that. Um, you're going to have another another wish. If you could go back in time to watch any game, which game do you wish you could have seen? Uh, the third Ashes test in 1914. Why? Um, also known as the Rourke's Drift test. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, I think England won the – England won one of the uh, the the first two tests. Australia won the second. So the third one was the decider. In the first half, one of the British players, very early in the first half, went down with an injury. Mm-hmm. And back then the rule was if you lost a player, you didn't have anyone on the bench, so you were just down a player for the rest of the game. And then in the second half, they lost two more Oof. to injuries. And so they finished the game. They finished pretty played, made out, played out most of the second half with 10 men, and they won the game 14-6 to six and won the series. Mm. In Sydney as well, is that right? In Sydney. Mm. Unbelievable. I'd, I'd love to see that game. And would you know? Would you like to know you're in great company because I, we asked Ian Heads the exact same question once and he said the exact same game for the exact same reasons. There you go. So you're as I'll smart go. as Ian Heads. Congratulations. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Ian, Ian. I have it on proof. I have record of you both saying the same things. So that must be true. I, oh, no, I'm, I'm talking about me being as smart as him. I, yeah, yeah. Ian's... Ian's at another echelon, way higher than I am. Mate, if I ask him a question and he gives me the answer and, it, and then I ask you a question and you give him the same answer, it sounds like you've got the same brain, so you're as smart. I'd go back to May 11th, 1935, because on that day the Roosters scored the fourth highest number of tries in a game 
which was 15 against Sydney Uni. And then on the same day, St. George scored the most amount of tries ever in a game, 19 against Canterbury. What a day for rugby league. Now, of course, the only person who could have ever found that kind of crazy information is from the Rugby League Project. Are you already aware of this crazy day in rugby league history? Yeah. Also, the week after that, the Roosters then matched St. George's <laughs> record against exactly the same team. <laughs> there you they go. 19 against the Bulldogs. Bulldogs lost 91 to 6 and then to St. George. And the week after, they lost 87 to 7 against the Roosters. Oofed. I love um, that you're outstanding me. Congratulations. Now, I but- think the Roosters also put sixty five or something on the on the drag in the on the Bulldogs in the second game they played that year. Oh god! Um, Dave Brown's got like fifty odd points against the Bulldogs that year. That's in two games. So sad, isn't it? <laughs> sad for Bulldogs fans. They probably called the Berries back then as well. Maybe. They were the Berries. Yeah, there you go. So they Actually, were- I saw in some some publications are called the Canter the Canterbury Banks or the Canter the Can Canterbury Banks. It was really weird how they used to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. The Cantabs. Uh, and so I mean do you have do you have any I mean did you already know that day I know I sent this to you before but did you already know May that that whole vibe beforehand are there other days like that do you have pocketed in your brain about crazy crazy things happening um there's a few but the the ones that sort of stand out are like uh, April 20 1908 when they played the first round of games Mm -hmm. Uh, and Bowman beat West 24-0 Yes, we did at Birchgrove Oval. We did, and it's it's kind of – I found that rather amazing because the, the team that Balmain played with in their first ever game was yeah. the team they ended up merging with. Isn't that amazing? It's uh, quite fascinating how that all works. Yeah, it's it's really poetic and hundreds of years apart, so it really kind of happened – well, almost 100 years apart, so it really kind of happened – like to like we wouldn't have constructed that, and we almost went with Parramatta and things like that. So it's yeah, just beautiful and bizarre. And obviously, that's not a good enough reason to emerge with a team. So <laughs> it just happens to be that that romance is around. Do you have another one? Another um, crazy date. Another crazy date. Well, I mean, I mean, do you care much about the stuff you're seeing now, like Cameron Smith taking over the most amount of point scorers? Does that does that excite well, you? I think Cameron Smith playing 400 games, I found that to be much more of an achievement than the point scoring one. Right. Because the point scoring one, I feel, is going to get broken relatively easily. And I say that because Cameron Smith only had one season where he scored 200 points in a year. And you've got players like Jared Croker out there. He's already, a, you know, 1,700. He's only a few hundred behind him. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and then you've got Nathan Cleary, Latrell Mitchell. I mean, Latrell Mitchell's only 300 points from his first 1,000, which yeah, is only right. a season. That's only a season and a half away, which means he'll be 24 when he's racked up 1,000 career points. Mm. You know, that's – so the points one I don't find as fascinating. I think that's going to get beaten regardless. Right. But I can't think of anyone who's going to go past Cameron Smith for the most number of games anytime soon. That's right. – that's, and to me – that's more of a testament to Cameron Smith's greatness than the point scoring thing. Mm. Especially being a hooker, you know, playing in the front line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you feel how do you feel about Melbourne? I know you said your wife didn't like them, but the that's because she's a Cronulla fan. Do you do you like because the thing I probably dislike most about them is only that whenever I go to the rugby league museum and you look at the entire wall of premierships, there are there's two that have been redacted and it just says no winner, and that really upsets me. So as a historian yeah. and as a statistician, does that also ring Poorly for you? Yeah, I'll I'll say this knowing that it's rather unpopular. I I don't think Melbourne should have been stripped of the premierships. Mm. 
I think what should have happened, because for me, if you take the premierships away, okay, what you're doing is you're punishing the players and the fans more than anyone else. Right. And neither of those two were responsible for what went on there. Right. I think what needed to happen was the people involved with all that salary cap stuff should have been gone to jail. Yeah, right. Because I know firsthand too, because in, in 2010, I was doing sideline reporting for the Melbourne Storm New South Wales Cup team, which they actually had at the time. And it was the first step of them taking towards getting a proper junior pathway set up in Melbourne right. with Victorian players. And when the salary cap scandal broke out and then they had that massive suspension put on them, that New South Wales Cup team had to then merge with Cronulla. Mm. They don't have it anymore. They've gone back to using feeder teams up back up in there Queensland. in Queensland. Yeah, right. And so and it's, a, it's part of the story that's not known is the fact that Melbourne were actually starting to build rugby league in Victoria as an actual pathway for Victorian players to come through. And that's just been, it just got shut down. And we've only seen last year, they've started up a, a center of excellence or, or something along those nines. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, standing in Victoria now, which is the first step back to that. It's a long time to wait for that pathway mm. to start up again. Mm. See, I would have, I would have preferred that they, they kept it. I mean, Canberra allowed to keep theirs in, in 1990. Yeah. And they were over the cap by an immense volume as well. Mm. So, to me, it was inconsistent and too harsh. Mm. And let's be honest, it didn't serve any purpose because teams have have rotted the cap since just as flagrantly. Yeah. Like Parramatta did and, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's been others. So it didn't serve any purpose in the end. Yeah, and then no one has them. So, yeah, it just looks really dodgy. And the other annoying thing that upsets me about Canberra is that that, that team is lauded. The, the team in the early 90s is lauded as one of the greatest teams ever, and everyone seems happy to forget that they were cheating. Yeah. So, mm. And so maybe in 10 years or 20 years, that Melbourne team, if we let them have those premierships, they'd also be lauded and we'd just forget that the uh, administration was terrible. Mm. Well, I, th- I think we'd still know the administration was terrible, but regardless, I, yeah. I, just, I just don't think the, the players and the fans should have should have gone through that punishment because they're the ones who, call, who wore the brunt of that. Yeah. Yeah, the likes of Brian Waldron and the like didn't wear any brunt of anything. They mm. just left their job and got another one. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, let's think about this. The, thinking about those memories and and, uh, and other games you've watched, your childhood, watching it while the rain's happening outside, researching, documenting, publishing books, publishing podcasts. What is your greatest rugby league memory? Yeah, you know, I've I've got a few. One of them is actually watching. Tim Brasher playing both his first Origin game and his first Test game, mm. and it comes about. It's not. It is linked to you know why I started following Balmain, but in my brain, at the age of ten in nineteen ninety, I just had this thing in my brain saying he's a Test player. He should be playing for Australia. And two years later, that all happened, and I'm sort of wandering around going, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> But I was also just so damn proud that he did it because I was like, yeah, that was your destiny and you made it. You, you earned it. Mm. To me, that was just right. But I've never felt that way about any other player since. I don't know why. Right, right, right. Just just him. The 2005 grand final. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was pretty damn impressive. Where were you for that? You were down in Melbourne by then? No, I was actually working at the Roosters Leagues Club. Well, as a bartender? Uh, in the On the gaming area. I was a... I was working graveyard shifts on the gaming area and right. doing cashier window stuff and things like that. So where were you for the game then? Uh, at home, at the home that I had. I was living in Sutherland. Okay. I'd, I'd had a, a long shift the night before, but I didn't have to work 
the night that the grand final was on. Right. So I got home though and going, right, the Tigers are playing tonight. So it's a grand final. I'm going to be too stuffed to go to actually go to the game and watch it. I knew that from months ago. Yeah. But I've got to find somewhere to go and watch it. Don't care where. I've got to go watch it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Also, and then also the thing, right, I've just worked an 11 hour shift. Ugh. Because I did, I've, I used to do that on a lot. You're young and stupid. You don't care. Um, and it's so prepared you were now for all of your writing and horrible stuff you've got to do all the time now. So, yeah. That, that I do late at night. Yeah. <laughs> Broke my body clock. Um, so my shift started at uh, back then, started at 7 p.m. and finished at 6 a.m. Oh, my God. And so I always had to have this decision at the end of the of my working week was, do I go home and have a nap and run the risk of staying in that routine or do I go home and stay wide awake so that I can actually go to sleep for three three or four days during nighttime and enjoy the daytime like normal people yeah, would. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I stayed up. And so I must have been awake for, I don't know, 30 or something hours. Oofed. By the time the grand final started. Oofed. And uh, you get to the point, once you've done it several times, you go through a little period at, the, at about the uh, the 26-hour mark where you sort of you sort of just start feeling, I, I call it fuzzy. All your limbs just start feeling a little bit light and weak and you just, <laughs> your head starts getting a bit foggy and cloudy, but right. your eyes are still wide awake. Okay, low-level marijuana. Yep, great. <laughs> and then you, um, <laughs> you you start to wake up again and you become all, all of a sudden just alert like you've just had a sleep, even though you haven't. Oh. And then the next, the next six hours after that, fully alert, can't go to sleep. And I was like, fine. It's like going through, yeah, you take any sort of drug dependence, any sort of drug yeah. you wanted to, any alcohol you wanted to, you just skip all that and just not sleep. And yeah, just cheaper. Let your body let your body do do what it does. Yeah, okay. I think it might have been adrenaline or something like that to try and keep your body going or something like that, possibly. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, so you're just, peaking on that just as the Tigers win. Yeah. Well, 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 great timing. And then Tigers won. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. There was no post celebration because <laughs> I knew I was getting really tired by the time I the the last ten minutes were coming in, so I I, I just went to a, a local club and I was like, right, as soon as that as soon as that uh, full time siren goes, yeah. I have to get home, yeah, otherwise I'm going to fall asleep in, on a gutter somewhere, yeah, 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 and they're going <laughs> to think it's because I'm really drunk, drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they're going to be able to wake me up. They're going to call the police. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. Uh, nothing in, no drug, no grog in me. And yeah, I yeah. think, oh, some drunken on the road again. You were slurring about Rooster's Leagues Club and like, oh, he's been drinking all day. <laughs> okay, so, so Rex, finally, why do you love rugby league? What does it have that has kept you tied to it for so long? Initially, it was all of the the action, how fast it was and how tough it was. Um, it wasn't just the, the, the physical collisions, but the speed that players had, the agility to move around. Like you, I used to enjoy watching Greg Alexander a lot for that reason. Right. And then as I've got older and, and started to have this passion in the history side of things, learning about the unknown that hasn't been recorded is just – that is a massive motivator for a lot of the history work I do. Right. Because I find like a name and there'll be like one little thing about them. I go, okay, I need to find out more. And so I'm learning as I'm researching, and I just I love that whole aspect of it, and that's sort of kept me tied to the game ever since. Yeah, well, what a beautiful way to re- to love it. Well, this has been great, Andrew. Thanks so much. That, that's all my questions and comments. Did you have anything you wanted to add before we finish? No, I just hope I haven't ruined it. <laughs> oh, shut up, you idiot! This has been great. 
Yeah, that, that, that's what this big fear I've always got is I, I feared that when I go on someone else's podcast, I'm going to ruin it. I won't be able to <laughs> listen to them anymore. I killed them. I hurt them. No, you'll be all right. And then no, worst case work. scenario, we'll give our fans some milk. If it doesn't, you know, if they're complaining about it, they'll be okay. <laughs> now, a uh, big thanks to Paul Murchison, our wonderful producer. Also, a quick thank to you, Andrew, for your, for your website, because every single time I do stories, it's based on the back of your incredible website. Enjoy your sport for another week and come and talk to us next time, sport best friends. Bye. <laughs> Nailed it. Take that, Papakati. <laughs> Growing up there, I when I turned on the TV, there was this bloke running around for Cronulla who had the same first name as me, Andrew. <laughs> and I went, someone else has got my name. I like this team. I'm going for them. <laughs> How old were you? Eight, seven, eight. Yes, that's amazing. So that was stunning to me. I was like, I'm going to follow them. And then the following year, a player came up for Balmain and the commentators were talking about how he was going to school. And I was like, I'm at school. I like him. <laughs> this is my team. And so because of Tim Brasher, I became a Balmain Tigers fan and Shut stayed there. up. That's unbelievable.